Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Today is a very, very special day. Sunday, November 27th. And I learned this according to the internet. Um, is National Turtle Adoption Day. Yes. It's also National Craft Jerky Day today, I know, for those who celebrate. Um, It's also National Bavarian Cream Pie Day. Uh, We're getting better. It's, It's Aura Awareness Day. I don't know what that is, but go for it. And also, it's the first Sunday of Advent as well. All of the things that are happening today, I don't know if you're aware, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of made-up holidays that we go through our weeks without noticing. Tomorrow, as most of you probably know, is National French Toast Day as well. And while you may not know that many of these seemingly ridiculous holidays exist, it's impossible to keep up with them all, as you know. It does speak to something that's, I think, profoundly important for us as human beings, and that is that we love to celebrate. We want to, to find something to order our lives around worth celebrating. We long to find something sacred and meaningful in the ordinary. We want to find meaning and beauty in places where it's lost. I hope you find meaning and beauty in French toast and in Bavarian cream pie and in craft jerky, not regular jerky, craft jerky jerky, jerky that is a little more bougie than normal jerky, apparently. Um, But we look for these opportunities to find meaning in things that feel normal and ordinary. And that's why for thousands of years, as we move into Advent, we have organized as the church around this time-shaping moment called the Christian calendar, the Christian year. Thousands of years of Christians have done this across nationality, across time, across tradition. We are joining this morning. This is so wild, I believe. Joining this morning with people in multiple denominations across our city, across the world, in different countries who are beginning the Christian New Year today. You see here on the screen, how this moves forward together. We start with Advent, then we move to Christmas. Advent is the season of anticipating the birth of Christ. And as we move towards Christmas, we celebrate that birth. Epiphany, which is the revealing of Christ. The season of Lent, which is moving us towards the cross, a season of repentance. Then we have Easter, which is celebrating the resurrection and the life of the resurrection. And then finally, Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit falls and the church is born. Now, as a church, we, what we do is we follow along with the first half of that circle. When we get into ordinary time, we do series, as you hopefully have known, and teaching series that kind of speak to where the Holy Spirit's doing in, in our particular context at that point. So we follow along with kind of where we feel led at that. But once we reach Advent again, we begin the new year once again. Today begins this season of Advent. It moves us towards the birth of Jesus and anticipation and longing. Advent literally means the coming or 
the arrival. And as we step into Advent today, the scripture that we're given, that we're following with other traditions and believers across the world, is one that you may not choose for Advent. In fact, it may be a scripture that you have read, but maybe just passed over because it didn't seem like one of the more meaningful ones that you would find. It's in Psalm 122. It's a shorter psalm. It's probably not one you have on a coffee mug anywhere, but it moves us today into the season of Advent. So I'm going to read this together here with us on the screen, and then we're going to pray. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. To the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones of judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is spoken over us, that is living and active. And it's living and active, God, not because our Bibles are magical, but because the God who speaks it is living and active. And so take us today into the grand narrative of your gospel. Take us today into the places that we might not see otherwise. Teach us as we move towards the anticipation of Jesus's birth together. God, Today is your day. Today is for you. We gather for you, not just for us, for you. So we honor you with what we say and do and speak and sing, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there's no way of getting around this. This psalm is about being happy to go to church. It's about being happy to get up and go to church. Now, it's not all that, but it's it, it's, it starts there, at least. Psalm 122 is part of something called the Psalms of Ascents. The Psalms of Ascents. Psalm 120 through 134. It's a psalm book. In the Hebrew, it's the Sherei Hamaloth. And they were sung by pilgrims who had left their homes their, with all of their extended families and villages marching together to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. Faithful Jews would have made this pilgrimage three times a year across the region, grabbing all that they could and gathering in Jerusalem for these festivals of worship and celebration. I love this about the people of God in the Old Testament. They made a priority on partying. God decreed that you must, thou shalt party. Thou shalt celebrate the good stuff that's happening and your story and my goodness in your story. So three times a year, they traveled up to Jerusalem to worship and to have these festivals of worship. They're called the Psalms of Ascent because you're literally ascending Jerusalem, to which sits on a hill. They're ascending up to the place of worship. For generations, these Psalms that we're reading here, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, was a songbook that you would sing with your family as you walked along the road. These were 
kind of like road trip songs. These were the songs that you remembered in tradition that you would be taught by your grandmothers who taught, who was taught that by her grandmother and over and over again passed down as you moved towards worship together. In other words, when you read this psalm, it's not words in the scriptures that were written down sitting in ivory towers, studied by gurus and elites. No, these were the songs of the people, songs sung by ordinary people like us who made the decision to leave behind their homes and to march the long road up to Jerusalem for worship. These were people like us because they were people who were on the way, people moving towards worship. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about worship. Worship as the road that you and I, we walk on and the road that we seek together. Worship as the road, worship as destination, worship as leaving, and worship as arriving. Now, worship starts this time together as we hit the road together, moving towards this common destination of the temple. And if you've been around church for any amount of time, you know, you have heard over and over again that worship is not a style of music. Worship is a lifestyle. How many people have heard that before? And that is true. Listen, worship is not a consumeristic genre that you find on iTunes. Worship is. That's true so much more than just the songs that we sing. But I do believe that our brothers and sisters thousands of years ago who were walking towards Jerusalem, who are pilgriming together on this pilgrimage, that they actually have something to say to those ideas within our vernacular. I think they would tell us as they were singing these songs, marching up to Jerusalem, that while worship is not just these songs that we sing, and not just an hour on Sunday, it's also not an isolated, individualized expression. It's also not just our own personal version of spirituality either. We are both on our way to worship, and we worship on the way. That's what Psalm 122 tells us. We're moving towards this, which is worship. But the Bible is also teaching us to worship on the way. Ancient Israelites, as they traveled to worship at the temple they would know that there are plenty of differences between them and the others, the other tribes that you would find. They had different identities and backgrounds, but they had a common identity and purpose in being pilgrims on the way, moving towards worship. You knew as followers of Yahweh, you were on the way to somewhere. You were on the way to something different than you were before. You were pilgrims. Psalm 84.5 says this. It speaks to this idea. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. The psalmist wants us to see here that our hearts are, are meant to be the roads on which God travels, the roads that form us into the kind of people we are. We know as we read about these men and women and children who marched to Jerusalem and worship that we are on that same road in our own stories, in our own hearts. We are a people who are on the way. We are a people who are moving forward. I love the message paraphrase of this little bit here in Psalm 84. It says, and how blessed are those in whom you live, whose lives become roads you travel. 
They wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled these roads, curve up to the mountain, and at last, Zion. God in full view. This would not have been an easy road to get to Jerusalem for worship. They would be walking through wilderness. They would be walking through dangers that were both seen and unseen. That's what it means to move towards God in worship, is to be a pilgrim. What does it mean to have our hearts set on pilgrimage, as the psalmist is saying? What does it mean? I think it begins with us as a church knowing that, that our faith journey could and should never be static. It should never just stay where it is. We should be warned that when our faith journey remains static and stagnant, there is something wrong. We should always be a people on the way, shouldn't we? We should always be a people who are in the process of moving towards something together. There's a couple of things here I want us to know about what it means to have a pilgrimage heart. The first thing is that together we know what we are leaving. Having a heart of, that is set on pilgrimage first means that there is a place within us, sometimes literally, sometimes spiritually, that we are leaving. In the very basic sense, you left your home to come here today. But in all of our faith journeys, we are leaving something behind in order to move towards that to which we have been called. We know as we worship what we are leaving. Now, our world makes having a pilgrimage heart or a pilgrimage in and of itself, a literal pilgrimage, almost impossible. We have designed a world in the modern religious landscape, uh, Christianity in the U.S. Uh, uh, just as much as anything, that where the two highest values are almost always accessibility and individuality. And so what we have done is we have designed our lives to where the temple comes to us, where the temple is at our fingertips. We no longer have to leave to go to the temple. We ask the temple to come to us. And listen, there are things about that that is good. During the pandemic, if it weren't for the fact that we were not being able in the same room and having the technology and being able to worship together, God did great things through that. People who are home, sick, dealing with sickness and connection and not able to come, there are parts of this where we have this accessibility that are good, but we're not formed for spiritually individuality and a temple that just comes to us. We are made to leave something behind to move towards something greater. And that's why we're, we so often miss this in our faith journey, is that we're committing to something that's far more than just detached, individualized beliefs, disembodied ideas that we mentally ascend to, that we add to an already comfortable life. The invitation over and over again in discipleship and following Jesus is to what? To leave. Every time that Jesus offers this invitation to disciples, what does he say? He says two words. He says, follow me. Each of his disciples, as we look into the Gospels, each of them left something behind. Peter, James, and John literally left their livelihood on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. Matthew left behind a lucrative business in tax collection. 
Simon the Zealot left behind his violent political ambitions for power. The rich young ruler refused to leave behind his wealth and power and influence and walked away from Jesus because he could not leave what was behind him. Now, whatever you do with the invitation of Jesus, however you understand together, however we as a church understand, follow me, we must know and can be sure that discipleship is always disruptive. Discipleship is always calling us out of something and into something else, always calling us to leave something behind. Discipleship is incompatible with the status quo. Discipleship is incompatible with staying where we are. That's part of what it means to understand our faith journey as pilgrimage, as a journey. We are constantly leaving behind what was and moving towards something we have been called to. And there is a reason we leave. All of life is not just leaving because sometimes life is also arriving because the second thing we know in that is that in leaving we also know where we are going we know what is ahead of us for pilgrims as we see in psalm 122 the destination is clear they're going to the temple they're going to jerusalem this is where they both be in the presence of god but also in the presence of god's people both of these promises fill them with joy. Why do do they get excited about going to church? They get excited about going to church because they're going to be with God and with his people and with God and his people together. And that truth, that reality that sometimes, let's be honest, is hard to believe, filled them with joy. That walking in doors like this could be a joyful, joyful experience because of this radical idea that God is here and that we get to be with him together and we get to be with one another in the middle of the stories that you and I face, in the middle of the struggles and the seasons we're going through, I can be with you. The psalmist knew as he wrote these words that filled people with joy. I get to be with God, and I get to be with you. And that's why, in spite of setting up chairs, in spite of plugging in cables, in spite of lifting up heavy TVs, I'm joyful to show up here on Sunday morning. In spite of the challenges that a mobile church has, I love it. I love and am filled with joy because I believe this radical idea that God is here, and that you are too. I'll set up chairs and lift up heavy TVs for eternity because that's a beautiful promise. And I'm not willing to let go. Notice back in Psalm 122, it says, Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. To the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Worship was this opportunity to gather with people, but not just people like us, people outside of our circle. People of different tribes, same people, different tribes. Listen, I don't get to hang out with everybody in this room all week long. I don't think I could, I'm an introvert. I barely hang out with the people I hang out with now. But I get to see and I get to hear the stories that we do as we gather. 
The beauty of gathering in a church is that I get to be a part of, at least for a brief moment as we gather, stories that I might not get to be a part of during the week. As they walked into Jerusalem, they were filled with joy because I haven't seen those people in a while. I haven't seen that tribe. I get to see the babies that were born. I get to see the stories that I haven't heard because I have not been connected. Gathering together in the temple wasn't just a blind individual experience with God. It was an opportunity to say, as we worship, I get to see your story too. All the tribes coming together. What a joyful experience. I'm so glad we get to see what happens in your life, even though I might not be in it day in and day out. That's good news. Writing about this in the Psalm, uh, Eugene Peterson says, in Jerusalem, all of the scattered fragments of experience, all the bits and pieces of truth and feeling and perception were put together into a single whole. In worship, though we have come from different places and out of various conditions, we are demonstrably after the same things, saying the same things, doing the same things, with all our differing levels of intelligence and wealth, background and language, rivals, rivalries and resentments, still in worship, we are gathered into a single whole. I love that. That's why I love what we get to do here every week, is that I may not be on the same day-to-day road as you, but as our roads meet, as we gather, I get to celebrate what God is doing. We get to share into this common worship, doing these same things together. In the time of the psalmist, the temple was built, it was built to have and hold the presence of God. That's where God's presence dwelt. But as you hopefully know, the good news about as we gather is not that this room contains the presence of God, that we have been called now what? His temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you know that you yourselves, us, are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? He's not indwelling a building. He's not indwelling a service or a song. God is gathering us together because we are now the temple in which he dwells. And as we come together, we are being built together. That's what Ephesians 2.22 says. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. We are his temple, and while we are at the same time his temple, he's forming us to be even more of his temple, the people in which he dwells. Worship together, it is not just a theological statement. It is something we make towards the world, a sign towards the world that we are moving out of isolation, that we are not staying comfortable in our own tribe, just in the people who are like us. We are moving into something bigger because we are now the temple that is being built together with people who are like us, and guess what? Being built together with people who are not like us. Thank God. And each time we do this, as we gather, we are rehearsing for the ultimate place where we are going for the day that when we gather together as all tribes and nations and tongues and worship for eternity, this is rehearsal for what is to ultimately come. This is a small temporary sign of what will one day be our reality, that we come together with God and with one another. That is eternity. But until then, We inhabit this space between where we are leaving and where we are going. Most of our life, as you know, as you walk into a room like this, most of your life is not in a room like this. Most of your life is not in a worship service. 
I love worship services, but boy, I'm glad that's true. I'm glad that eternity is not, as it has been proposed, one long worship service. Eternity is on earth as it is in heaven. We get a real world in eternity. We get a whole life in eternity. And this is just part of that story. We are living in the in-between of where we are leaving and where we are moving together. We are living in the already, and we are living in the not yet. And this is the, this is the place, I believe, where God does his best work, in that space between, in the already and the not yet, in the place where we haven't yet arrived, and yet we are on the way. Because as you have known, if you've ever gone hiking or made a long trip by foot, it gets messy and tired and wearying, but that is where God actually does his best work in forming us. So we know what we're leaving. We know where we are going. Finally, we know that we are who we're becoming along the way. The primary work of worship in our lives is formation. It's how it shapes us. These ancient Israelites, they did not have the same separation of sacred and secular that we have as modern Westerners. And so as they walked this road, they worshiped. Worship did not start with the temple. Worship happened the whole way there. Now, did worship happen in the temple? Yes. But did worship happen as they walked in these messy places through the wilderness, through dark places in their journeys? Yes, worship happened there too. In both these songs and conversations on the road, in the prayers of the temple, in everything they were doing, worship was taking place because there was no secular, there was no sacred, there was only the God who was present and at work among them. So the song of the road was just as holy as the prayers of the temple. And guess what? When we live into that together, when we live into that vision of worship together, where I know that the conversations I have around the dinner table are just as much worship as the songs I sing on Sunday morning, guess what? The songs mean more, and the meal means more too, because we live into both in the fullness of what God is doing as he forms us in worship. As Psalm 2022 closes, it it repeats a word three times in three different ways. Look with me again here on the screen. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For your sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. You might wonder, why does Jerusalem matter so much? It's one of the reasons, as I would read this in the scriptures growing up, it would just be like, okay, that's just Jerusalem. What does Jerusalem matter to me? I don't live in Jerusalem. Sure, that's where the temple was. Why would Jerusalem even matter? If it's about worship, it should just be the temple. Why don't they just talk about the temple? Why does it have to be the city that's around the temple itself? Well, as pilgrims and travelers, as you were entering into the city, you're doing so among thousands and thousands and thousands of strangers. Psalm 122 doesn't end with a simple prayer to have a great worship time together. It's for God to bring peace and wholeness to the neighbors. That word peace in Hebrew is shalom. It's a, 
a whole lot bigger than just quiet or a whole lot bigger than just the lack of conflict. What we normally understand as peace, shalom means wholeness. It is flourishing in its fullness where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. What Jesus promises to restore in the end is the shalom of all creation, the wholeness of all creation. Psalm 122, even on the way to worship, is praying, I want wholeness for my neighbors. I want peace for all of these people and not just the people I showed up with. Psalm 122, it will not allow us to miss that the sincerity of our worship as we gather and the flourishing of our neighbors, they're inseparable. They're absolutely inseparable. Worship does not take place outside the realities and the needs of the world around us. Worship should deeply embed us into the world as it actually is through the eyes of God. That's why I've said over and over again over these years as we've gathered together, we don't aim to have a worship service that helps you escape from the world. It helps distract you from how rough everything is or distract you from how horrible the stories you've seen or distract you from the pain that you feel on the inside. Worship, as we gather, should actually help us see clearer, not distract us from what's actually there. Meaning we should see our neighbors with clarity as we gather into the presence of God. The Bible does not create the false dichotomies that pervade our modern mindsets that say that justice is a distraction from the gospel or that say that gathered worship is a waste of time and we should just go out and serve people. The Bible simply will not give you that false dichotomy. The Bible says as you gather and give God glory as he is worthy of it, you begin to see yourself. You begin to see your neighbors with a clarity that you did not have. And so in that, as God fills and indwells you as the temple, you are empowered and sent to bring that wholeness to the neighbors that you see on the way there. Amen? It is not an either or. I put forth today that I don't think you can see one or the other clearly without the other. That it is in when we see the beauty of God that we see our world as we should see it through his eyes. Both of these things are forming us towards love. That's what worship, the end of worship is, is we're becoming a people of love. We're learning how to love God and we're learning how to love our neighbors. So I want to close with a question today as we allow these brothers and sisters who thousands of years ago were walking these roads together, these pilgrims walking towards worship, worshiping on the way, is it good news to our city that we gather here for worship? Is it good news to this neighborhood that we sing these songs? Is it good news to the neighborhoods that we live in, that we come and hear the word of God? Are we seeing the presence of God in a way that clarifies and calls us deeper into the needs of our neighbors around us? Can they see in us the transformation of being on that road? Can our neighbors see and feel the hopes and longings of the songs we sing or do they ring empty? Do they hear a gospel that is a better story than the prophets of doom which dominate the airwaves around us? 
I want to join the psalmist this morning and say, I was glad when they told me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Because that's where, Lord, you meet us together. That's where, Lord, you shape us to see ourselves, and to see our neighbors, even our enemies, clearly. We pray, Lord, help us today to see you. And Lord, that when we turn our eyes and fix our eyes on you, it's not turning our eyes away from our neighbors. It's actually learning to see them for the first time. Lord, where there are false dichotomies, Lord, that I, I repent of myself. Teach us the wholeness that you're calling us to. We are on our way to worship, but we're also worshiping on the way. Fill us up now, God, and send us out as we enjoy, experience the fullness of your presence. Pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to celebrate communion this morning.